Someone's asked, hardest thing about being single? Ooh. Apart from the obvious. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, wonderful to be back here with you again. I am recording from my apartment now in Los Angeles. I have moved down. We did get the keys for the apartment um, in November, would you believe? But um, due to the fact that we were traveling so much, Amanda and I uh, really only started settling in in uh, beginning of December and more, um, more now in January. So it's been gorgeous. We are thoroughly enjoying it, um, but equally are just settling in. So we haven't even had a homewarming party yet, but we will at some stage. And it's just really lovely to be around um, just our friends uh, who are thriving and full of creativity. Uh, we're feeling all so inspired. Um, so far, there is not one night when we're going to bed without a bit of a sing song, you know. So always lovely. And um, anyway, I've just so loved your uh, wonderful questions and I wanted to make sure that we did do a couple of these episodes where I answer questions rather than just talking at you. No one wants to be with someone that just does a monologue all the time. We want a bit of a dialogue, don't we? Yes. So um, I've plucked from a beautiful Google sheet that my wonderful assistant Beth has done um, from these tremendous questions that are all over the shop. So this is going to be so random, I have no way of structuring it other than, here we go. First question. What do you have to say to the idea that you can't have your dream forward slash career and be married? So we had the Oscars last week um, and I thought this question came up at just the most brilliant time because... My friend Lynette Howell-Taylor produced the Oscars this year and did a remarkable job. She is two years older than me, so she's 25, and and she has three children, three children, one of which is just past the age of one. And honestly, she's absolutely killing it at life. She's doing a phenomenal job. Um... She would honestly say herself that there are certain areas of her life where she probably has to be more of a secondary than a primary. Um, but as a producer, she has done many brilliant films, everything from um, A Place Beyond the Pine, um, A Star is Born, Captain Fantastic, uh, some really brilliant films, as well as obviously during uh, the show on Sunday. And I've always just been a little bit in awe with her because because she's so brilliant at her craft, she can actually call the shots a little bit in how she orchestrates her life. So, for example, even when she's on set, she always makes sure that she puts down, even when the children were traveling with her, and her husband, who's also a very successful guy, was flying from one city to go and see her at the weekends, they basically had adapted around each other's destinies and dreams. So they would fly according to 
what worked for their schedule and obviously had to give way and sacrifice things that just wasn't wasn't going to work for their their married journey as well as their family but she always had a rule of making sure that she was the one that put the children to bed at seven o'clock even if she had to go back onto set afterwards um and I really loved that she really wanted to make sure that she had good quality time with the children as well as was able to um work so well and so hard in her craft that she actually had enough people helping her to be able to do all of those things and having said that that's not the it's not the um the main bar that we should all try and achieve you have to know what your own capacity is you have to know what makes you come most alive is that how you're supposed to be doing your life or are you supposed to be a full-time mum whatever those things are um, I think you just have to be very honest with your own wiring your own capacity and go from there do not compare yourself to somebody else but when people are saying you can't have your own career and be married I don't necessarily agree with that uh, because I see it play out so many times in um, my own journey and in my own friends um, I would say also regardless of um how maxed out you want your life to be. If you are married, you have to be, and, and Neil Warren says this in uh, in his book, The Guy That Founded eHarmony, he said the number one contributing principle to making all relationships work in marriage was adaptability. And so, uh, and honestly, in my own journey of counselling, it's normally when one person wanted to run the ride, if that makes sense, of their journey and their life together, and the other one had to pretty much lay down their life and their dreams completely. Um, and were happy to do that at first. But at some point later down the journey, they've recognised that they too also had things that they wanted to achieve, things, dreams that they wanted to accomplish. And so I think, honestly, it's, it's not so much about you can't have this. And I would probably challenge the person that asked me that question um, have you got people around you that inspire you to answer the yes to that question rather than the no? Um, I'm very wary about who I take advice from. I have plenty of people in my life, but I'm very um, cautious and very discerning about who I take the advice from. <laughs> Just giving you a heads up. Um, next question. What do you think churches can do to encourage and mentor single women in ministry? Uh, this is one area that I would say the church don't always do a great job with. Um, I would suggest um, a few things need to change. Um, some churches do not pay single pastors the same as a married pastor, even whether or not they have children. Um, and I would suggest that being single actually can cause more financial difficulties sometimes when you're not married. Um, so I think that's very important to be able to make sure that they can live off on a single wage because as a single pastor, you can't live with anyone um, and you can't, um, you have to choose very wisely who you live with because um, you do not want to be pastoring someone at night in your own home. <laughs> so um, there is that. It's very important to make sure that you are um, sharing as a single pastor what your needs are and hoping that um those things will be heard and hopefully they will be um, supportive um, in knowing that you are a gift to bring to the table. Uh, another thing I would suggest, especially whilst they're single because they have a little bit more time on their hands, is to be able to build developing programs to really utilise the skills of those single pastors. Um, there are many things that we often don't get to um, use, do, um, explore 
in just a single realm. And I think it's really important for the bosses and the leaders to sit down with their single parties going, what is the lifelong dream for you? Is there anything that we can actually start pouring into now that will just make you come more alive? Um, the other, the third thing I would suggest is please don't patronize single women to suggest that they don't know anything about marriage or that they don't know anything about covenant or they don't know anything about life because they're not married. I'd like to challenge the fact that because they haven't had some of their dreams actually utilized, um, because they haven't had some of their dreams come true, they've actually had to work on very different skills. Some of the best pastors are Benedictine monks that I had the pleasure of spending um, a few weeks with back in you know my early 30s. And they had wisdom like I've never heard before. And it's often down to the amount of sacrifice they had to give up on things, not because they obtained so much. Um, they had a compassion and empathy, an ability to seek understanding on things. When a lot of times we can get a little bit too complacent, a little bit too, I'm very significant because I have family, you know? So we've got to make sure we go in with a really kind approach to single passes that they actually do have something to bring to the team. And also they have more time to watch things Things going on and I would really challenge um, anyone that's leading single pastors to make sure that they have a space to listen to their opinions um, really listen to what they're seeing and hearing um, and make sure that they actually have someone to process this stuff with because they don't have anyone at home to process stuff with you'll often find as well that single pastors might be a little bit more honest <laughs> with you about what could be developed because um, a lot of the time people who are married might actually just want to stay at home and keep that within the family. So they're actually a real gift to utilize and say, hey, is there anything that you feel in what you've noticed um, that you could bring to the table? Also recognize that as uh, we are now navigating the most single generation between the age of 18 and 40, that um, you're going to hear a lot of singles pour out to single pastors because they feel known, they feel like they can relate to that person. So there's a much stronger pull sometimes on the single pastors um, because they're looking to see how are you able to just stay celibate during this time? How are you navigating dating? How are you navigating, um, you know, just your evenings? in general. Um, so all of those things being said, it's very important that we give them enough support and enough guidance. And then we're also sort of building into their development um, in the future so that it isn't a short term. There is a reason why uh, the job roles for single passes can be quite transient because there hasn't necessarily been a sort of long term game plan that's been placed upon them or they're just not being paid enough to be able to stay into that role so that's very that's that's very interesting question and I think um making sure they have a space to process I actually uh whilst I was a revival group pastor at Bethel I um actually paid for someone outside of Bethel who appreciated Bethel, really loved the church, but was a psychiatrist outside of that environment. So I could just completely offload on all the journey, the dynamics, the job, the everything. Um, and I could have a very safe space that wasn't going to be discussed with other pastors, if that makes sense. Um, and that particular woman that I went to was a real gift to me. And I think, and she actually ended up mentoring an awful lot of us pastors outside of the, uh, outside of the four walls, because we all needed someone to just share the journey with, you know, and that wasn't to say that we needed someone to complain to. It was more like, oh, what a week, you know, and we've got 65 worlds that are looking at us as their world. So we needed someone to process with. And I would suggest that actually 
actually the church finances some of that um, pouring in, having someone to actually be regularly there. And I would actually see her every two weeks. It was really, really important for me because otherwise I would start to struggle with chronic fatigue because I'm very empathetic and um, there is such a thing as compassion fatigue. So that's that. Um, Gosh, the next question is, please share all of your wisdom and advice on finances. I am not the person to ask that question to, but I would say this. One of the things that I've noticed more than ever is actually a lot of Christians are not that brilliant at finances <laughs> because I think we have this approach, beautifully so, that the Lord is abundant, that he was always saving us and helping us out and always looking to prosper us, which is great. But the problem is we don't actually necessarily take full ownership of our finances, that we steward wealth well. And so I often find a lot of the times that we are living on the fumes of a, t- a financial testimony yesterday instead of actually stewarding that financial testimony and building on our knowledge of how to uh, manage finances. Um, the reason why I say that is there's a huge pull sometimes towards wealthy people in the church and because they've got something that the rest of a lot of Christians don't have. And so uh, there's this sort of uncomfortable desire of the delicacy that a wealthy person is carrying. And um, that lovely Proverbs that says, keep the knife to your throat, don't desire what kings and queens have around the table. You actually need to be so cautious of how you steward finances. And I really do think um, that churches don't do enough financial stewardship. I'm really glad that um, our church up in Bethel did actually have a lot of courses that would teach you how to navigate and steward finances um, and of course, you've got the Dave Ramseys and all of those wonderful people that help you how to get out of debt. But I think it's also really wise to start um, just asking and, and asking people around you um, that have a gift of financial stewardship and know how to um, uh, plan and prepare and how to be generous, even when you feel like you're really broke. Um, a lot of the time, I've actually got myself into debt because I've been giving out too, <laughs> too much money to people um, and not really taking care of um, myself in whatever season I'm in. So it's it's actually something that I've been, I had to, I've often gone to people, dare I say it, outside the church because they're very, very good at finances and they have had to take on an awful lot of ownership on their own. And I think I had moments where, I would spend whatever I had coming my way and I'd celebrate when it all came in and then I I didn't know how to sort of navigate the month-by-month basis of um, stewarding money. So I think, honestly, it's just a a case, honestly, like the rest of them. If you know someone's really good at something, go and ask them um, for their guidance. And um, there are some great resources by the likes of Steve DeSilva. And there's also another book... um, called the soul of money um which i've heard is very good and i've i've literally ordered it yesterday actually so it's i'll, I'll let you know how i feel about that once i read it someone's asked me um what are the markers of trust what makes one trustworthy um there's a few virtues that are really really important to me honesty of course is the number one thing for me i think we often think and i've said this before what what they don't know won't hurt them um I would like to propose that that line means what what they don't know won't hurt you. It's a pretty selfish line to be having. Honesty is incredibly important in the sense of uh, you're going in without any shame. 
when it comes to honesty. And yet there has to be an integrity matched with it to know when's the right time to start building that. I'm not suggesting that we are so transparent. The most important part is actually to be able to 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 have an integrity that wants to do the right thing. And I mean in the very subtle things. So I really watch when people say, I really watch when people talk about people. If they don't say very nice things, um, if they make quite a lot of judgment towards those other people, I'm like, huh, you're not very kind to yourself. That's what I'm learning. And secondly, um, I don't know how you talk about me behind my back when I'm not around. Um, so integrity is really important to me when someone's actually looking like they're taking ownership of every decision they're making and everything that's coming out of their mouth. Humility is really key to me when I see people, um, not ever take ownership of a conflict. Um, when there's a conflict that's to be had between you and a friend, it's very important that you both actually take ownership of the contribution that made that conflict happen. Um, there are times where people have just blatantly betrayed someone. Um, but I, I never do business, honestly, with someone that's not taking ownership of their behavior or of their, um, even just their own thought processes. If these thought processes are pretty toxic towards building trust with each other, then I'm probably going to remove myself, <coughs> excuse me, from, from actually doing business with them. And the same would be, I, I would say, with friends. Um, so honesty, integrity, and humility are the three things that really do build trust for me. And I think a sense of caring for somebody else it's um it's amazing how you can have all those three things but if you really are only thinking about yourself and not thinking about the other person or not showing a sense of forethought for the other person in that relationship with you it it says to me that this is all really going to work out as long as you're happy with it but if there's anything that changes if you're not really thinking about someone else um outside of yourself then you're not going to be thinking about building trust with them and you're not going to be thinking about the things that can just show love for love's sake you know that's kind of key to me what is your most valuable leadership advice oh gosh ask more questions i think one of the main areas where leaders get it really wrong is um, not asking enough questions. I've seen it before where leaders have heard a, uh, let's say they hear something about a member of the church or they hear something in their workplace about someone <clears throat> and they hear one side of the story and it starts to ruminate in their mind and they start to watch this person and they start to build a case about what this person is after hearing this story. Well, and some of these, some of the evidence around this person might start to be pointing more and more towards the accusation that's being made. But the problem is, is that you're actually building a halo effect as opposed to, and it's just building and building and building a case as opposed to actually sitting down with that person and actually asking questions right at the very beginning. I've seen some of the most divisive um, and most hurtful things take place from leaders when they've done that, when they've gone with an assumption rather than ask questions. And it's broken so much trust and it's basically obliterated any um, any of the growth and the, the development that you'd even had on building this person in the first place. Um, 
the second piece of advice I would have for leadership value and advice, um, never do a meeting with someone that you don't believe in. Um, I remember having a real problem with uh, a, a little situation that a student student was having and I was so hurt by what they'd done. And it wasn't towards me, it was towards somebody else, but I was so mad that they were blowing up not only their own life, but everyone else's lives around them. And it was actually destroying the group dynamic that I'd been building for four or five months. And I went to go and talk to another pastor. I didn't mention their name, but I'm like, this is the scenario. And he turned to me and he said, okay, you've got to cancel the meeting that you're about to have with this person. And I went, why? And he said, because you've lost belief in them. And understandably so, I get it totally. I've had the same, but I've had to cancel the meetings until I've been ready to believe in them again. Um, which is all fair and well, but you can't, um, you have to ask questions beforehand. So I'd actually gained all of the answers that I needed from both that person and everyone else. And I was just navigating stuff and it wasn't fair to be meeting with them when I didn't have the right posture to want to build them in that moment. All I wanted to do was correct them and that's not, that's control at some point when it comes to pastoring. So I didn't have a meeting until, until about two days later. And then by that point I was able to actually believe in them and posture myself. And it's actually been one of the most brilliant pieces of advice that I've ever had in regards to leadership management is, uh, is never having a meeting until you, <laughs> until you believe in them. And actually I, I, um, I do that with everyone to be honest with you. Um, but I don't normally need time out like that. It's very, very rare for me to have to do that. Um, they really would have have to, that, that's normally would happen if you've tried five or six times to advise someone and they're not hearing you out and you know that it's good wisdom because everyone else is thinking the same thing and they're just not hearing it. Um, and then, then they go and do the car crash, if that makes sense. Um, and that's that's when those things can hurt because I'm like, oh, I spent so much time. And yet at the same time, you're like, yeah, but the Lord didn't chase after them. He didn't run after them to check that everyone wasn't sinning. He literally just gave the advice when he was asked and interrupted someone's day when he knew someone was hungry enough to get the wisdom. So I try and look at the finest leader of all, which is our Lord. <laughs> And um, and just I'm so grateful that he still, when everyone else had given up, was able to find a way to still believe in someone, and um, and usually ask the reason why they were doing that, you know. And so that's my biggest question: ask the questions and ask why are they doing what they're doing. There's always a reason why. And I used to spend so much time in my twenties focusing so much on what the cause on, on what the effect of someone's behavior was rather than what was causing it and it actually made me a much more empathetic leader someone's asked hardest thing about being single Ooh. apart from the obvious i am uh you know it's in the last few years, I've really been focusing on what's great about being single because obviously my life's journey has not turned out in the way that I originally thought it would. You know, I kind of thought I'd be married by the time I was in my late 20s. And I was with a very significant person by that point. Um, but I'd ended it, you know, sort of 32, 31 I was when I ended it. And, um, and since that particular relationship, 
I never, I've really not had, uh, I've been dating Christian guys since that point. Um, and I haven't actually had the kind of intimacy, the kind of, the deep friendship that um, you get with someone when you've been with them longer than six months. And so I haven't really had, that. I miss that. I miss being known and seen and still being chosen. Um, I miss the private jokes and, you know, the fun things that you can only really build in very, very intimate relationships. But I would say I have a very full life in the sense of a lot of brilliant friends around me. And I, you know, I live with Amanda and she's one of my favorite people in the whole world. So I do feel very blessed and given a lot of gifts despite that. Um, I think, you know, a friend of mine actually said, I'm not sure you're necessarily happier when you're with someone, but you're certainly more fulfilled. And I'm not even sure what those things would be. I totally agree with that. I'm just not even sure what those things of fulfillment actually are because I'm kind of living out what I've always wanted to do. I'm living in the city I've always dreamed of living in. Um, I'm laughing so hard every day my guts hurt. And I'm surrounded by the most trustworthy people that I've ever had in my life. So on that level, I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> <laughs> not being single, but I'm not proud of it. I know I'm really good in intimacy. I know I'm really good um, at really loving someone and loving them in their most messiest day. I kind of actually miss caring for someone on the level that you're allowed to when you're in an intimate relationship. So I actually miss that. Um, you know, there's only so many, there's only so many things you can do for friends. Um, I'm, and I'm a huge romantic. So Romance, I guess, would be one of the things that I miss immensely. Um, but I'm not sad. Does that help? <laughs> um, and then I think, obviously, that probably goes into the next question, actually. Someone asked me, how are you most often misunderstood? Well, there's two things, I would say. One is that I'm intimidating. Um, that That is more said to me over my journey in being a pastor than any other time in my life. And I get it, like, if you hear me getting very passionate on the microphone and screaming in passion from my, my Lord, then I get it. I understand that, it's probably pretty terrifying to be with, but I'm actually quite soft and I'm quite, um, I used to be a lot more intimidating, funny enough, when I was younger, because I was I had a lot more edgy, sharp edges around me and I was quite self-protective and got into some very strong assumptions about things just for the sake of my own self-protection. So I'm, I'm much less intimidating now than I ever used to be, which is funny. Um, but I think, I don't, I, don't, I don't try and make up for that. The people that really do know me know that I'm not. Um, and I know, you know, my friend's husbands are like, listen, sweetheart, you ain't intimidating to us, so the right guy ain't gonna be intimidated by you. Um, but the thing about, the hardest thing about being single is this assumption that you don't actually understand intimacy and people forget that I, you know, lived with a guy when I was in my late 20s, late 30s um, and had a very close experience to covenant but never obviously had any of the paperwork nor obviously the spiritual blessing over it. Um, so I think I think the upsetting thing being single is like, oh, you don't understand, sweetheart. And I'm like, no, I, I do. 
I do on some levels. And yet equally, I don't know what it like is like to have the vulnerability of sex on the other side of covenant. Like I never, ever got to experience that. Um, um, so there's lots of things that I haven't experienced, obviously, that I will get to experience in marriage. But that sort of, that terrible thing that I can often see people do, which is this sort of slightly patronising approach to people in their singles of like, there's something wrong with you, or you don't understand life yet, or no, totally, there's definitely parts of our lives that we have not experienced yet. And I would never suggest that I, I would know that. But at the same time, darling, there's plenty of things that we've had to sort of build muscles for on our own, not being able to rely on other people for. So, um, and just the just sacrifice, you know, the compromise of what we have to make. Um, so I think, I think I have a, I have a lot of accountability in my life. And I think sometimes it's very hard to be put in the same bracket as another single that doesn't have any accountability. Cause I've actually, I've worked and accumulated an awful lot of people that do actually create an awful lot of accountability in my life. Not cause I don't trust myself, just because I, I know the responsibility that I have and the things on my life. And I live in an awful lot of freedom in myself. And so I, and with that, I've um, really been thankful for the people that speak in my life that um, it's not even just checking the blind spots. It's making sure that you're living into the fullness of who you are. Accountability sometimes, I'm, I'm, I'm asking my own question now that no one's asked me. <laughs> Gonna ask her anyway. Accountability often sounds like, do you have an accountability plan? As in, who's checking that you're not checking out porn? Actually, accountability to me is also about if you've got people around you that are going, are you actually living the fullness of who you are, or are you kind of just doing the same old job because it's a bit of extra cash? Like accountability, I think these days when. We don't have to have accounts. I don't have to have accounts of entity for porn. I've never been tempted to pick up porn ever since I put it down many years ago. But my thing that I have to be accountable to is making sure I'm actually on track for my calling because it's pretty terrifying what my calling is in a way of it's big and it's a huge vision and these doors are opening, but I'm scared to go through them because I'm worried that that might be too vain or too arrogant. You know, I'm British. We all like to sort of you know, have you seen the Queen wave? It's a very subtle, hello, you know, even when it's, you know, five spitfires flying over her head and spurting out colours of the rainbow. It's a very subtle, you know, we don't get too excited about things. So, well, we do, but we keep it very much inside. So, um, yeah, I mean, accountability for me is making sure you have people around you that actually really do stretch the brilliance of who you are, not just checking your blind spots for crying out loud. Someone's asked this really great question, which is, what are your thoughts on the deconstruction movement happening with Christians? It's certainly a thing that I've been having conversations about with certain friends. Um, I also want to make sure that I'm doing enough research before I actually talk on that subject. I think the actual word, word itself, and I was having a conversation with a friend about this the other night in LA, uh, the actual word deconstruction is a very divisive word in itself. And I think um, we almost need to look at a very different word for what some of these people are looking at. Um, I get nervous on any theology that is trying to break people away from the authority and the sheer majesty of who Jesus is. Um, 
but I have, I'm not threatened and I'm not easily threatened or offended by people that are going, you're allowed to ask questions in order to come closer to the Lord. I was very religious and never asked a question. Um, and yet when I did actually give myself space to ask questions, I actually got closer to him. My question would be, who are you processing those things with? That's probably my my biggest advice on that one. Um, but I do actually want to kind of take that question and put it into a whole other podcast. And I might even bring someone in for that particular discussion just so I can bounce off some ideas. But I do want to do, I don't really like talking about things until I've really done my research. I'm also not interested in blasting anyone else on my podcast. I have no desire to do that. I don't like it when other people do it, um, whether it's through articles or podcasts. So um i know that it's actually caused an awful lot of friction between leaders between churches um and i think that actually just exacerbates the problem that we see of fundamental religion that just becomes very judgmental and very cruel to other people so i actually care for unity in the church and i actually care that we are not um teaching ways that actually demises the moral compass of Christianity. You know, my book that's coming out is all about nobility. It's all about building the noble character. And um, I don't really like to spend too much time into theology that starts to um, merge. No, wait, let me say something else. I don't like building theologies that justify why I would do things that actually damage my life not build on them. So um, I need to really look into what these people are saying, what deconstruction actually is looking like for them. I have noticed a lot of people that are being placed under the deconstruction bracket are people that have actually gone through major life traumas or are experiencing some really hurting hurts from the church. So um, I also don't want to ignore that. And I think I actually might do a podcast at some point about what does it look like when we have been hurt by the church? You know, my heart breaks for people that have had a bad experience with leadership that have been badly misunderstood by assumptions in the leadership team. And or they've seen a, po- a patch, a pocket of a moment in someone's life and they've, they've labeled them with something rather than actually bring them in and spend time with that person, uh, really trying to build and help them. Um, last question. This is actually really, um, I know, I know that it's a question that is actually beautifully lighthearted, but I've actually left this one to last and I was procrastinating and I didn't even want to talk about it, (laughs) which means that I should, because, um, I, I always feel like every podcast I do, it should be on some level a cost to me not to make it tough for myself, but actually I just really feel at the moment that when it costs you something, there's some beautiful fruit that comes out of it. So someone actually asked, what is the one thing that you love that you've never fully dived into? It's a great question. And it's actually been something that I've rarely shared with friends. I shared it with a couple of people over the last decade and... (sighs) The reason why I didn't share it very often is because the gravitas of it felt so much heavier than um, how I was explaining it. So I'm going to just share it here because I've processed it now and I feel like I can, I can understand where I'm at. 
basically ever since I was very little, I was always dancing, 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 dancing to everything, every type of music, tap dancing, contemporary, hip hop, all sorts, right? And all the way through school, I was dancing and I was called Michael Jackson because I did a lot of Michael Jackson moves. But anyway, um, I went to a performing arts university. So by the time I was 19, I hadn't gone down the traditional dancing, classical dancing route. I think I, I just... Um, I just preferred the kind of freedom of doing it my way. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I had issues with authority or something. But um, I had a really brilliant teacher that ended up leaving. And so after that, I never kind of went down the kind of the graded route of dancing. But I did at uh, university, I was doing a fair bit of contemporary dance. And um, I had a car crash at 21 where I got stuck in the car and I had to crawl out the other side, but the whiplash and the impact of the car on my side I was driving um, had actually changed the flexibility of my back. And the doctor basically said, you're not going to get, you're probably going to get about 80% flexibility back into your back. So after that, I just didn't dance as much. And, but the main reason, and honestly, I was using that as an excuse not to continue dancing on a level of doing it on stage. The main reason why I didn't dance on stage was because, was because actually my father was always in the audience watching me doing these shows. And um, when he died at the age of 23, I didn't really want to dance again. I, I just was like, my number one fan died. So why would I, why would I get back and dance again? And the reason why I'm the reason why I'm sad is because I actually shared this once with someone who I'd had a you know some dates with, and I told him it, and he basically had said, "Wow, that's really powerful." And he said, "What's the Lord said about that?" And I said, "Well, the Lord tells me that it's like walking on water when I dance." And it was this beautiful moment, it's kind of beautiful revelation. I recognise. Let the pleaser come for me because I've shared too much. Um, could you hear the siren? Probably not. Um, And there was this connection moment with this guy and um, I think he was looking into getting a a dance studio for me to just dance in again. And it never happened. And I just, it kind of confirmed, yeah, there's no, ooh, there's no number one fan for me. And that isn't the reason really why you shouldn't do it. (laughs) So... Honestly, I I dive fully into it late at night at home when no one's watching. I push all the furniture aside, just like when I was five. And I love doing that. I really do love doing that. And I remember, gosh, this probably was a few years ago. We were I was in Bethel. I was a pastor at Bethel. And I was doing my silent vow for a week. And... um. I was, and because I couldn't speak, I just couldn't speak. So I came into worship, and so no one was disturbing me in worship because I wasn't speaking anyway, so they knew I couldn't speak to them. And instead, I I was at the back, and I was just dancing, and I was just having this beautiful time. And the next day, my boss at the time said, Hey, Carrie, I know you can't talk, 
Sarah's like smiling and thumbs up and all that jazz. And he said, but I really felt that today in worship, you should dance on the stage. I saw you dancing yesterday and I actually saw you dancing on stage last night. I had a dream about you dancing on stage last night. Um, and I think you should follow it through. Basically, you dancing is going to break something open in front of the whole room. And my face, basically, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say absolutely not. My face basically went, I hate you with every fiber of my being right now. Because I couldn't communicate a no. And he knew I couldn't communicate a no. That's exactly why he did it that week. So um, he went, thanks so much. <laughs> so... I found myself um, really struggling knowing that I was about to have to go up on stage and dance in front of 800 people and it had been a while since I'd done that and all the stuff with my dad. And So anyway, I get up on stage and I um, one of the other pastors is closing worship and they're like, Carrie's about to dance and you guys have to follow. And so I started dancing anyway, but um, I had to do it in a more simple, simpler moment so they could follow. And I just, just tears were just, just falling down my face because I realized, ooh, that the number one fan wasn't my dad, but it was actually my Lord. And so that changed things a little bit for me, but fully diving into it, I, I probably would have been a professional if I'd, if I'd not had that car crash and be, been so frightened of not having a fan in the room. I think that probably would have changed quite differently. Um, but I like, I like how it is now, which is an audience of none, a cloud of witnesses for one. And my heart's kind of happy like that. So, and I'm just really nervous now that my neighbors who live opposite me are going to start watching the living room late at night because we have no curtains to our room to our lounge. So I've set myself up for quite a, quite a blackmail now. I can feel it. I can feel it. But, um, great question. Great, great question. The other answer is calligraphy. <laughs> That's another thing that I'd always wanted to get into. <laughs> but the other one was much more interesting as an answer. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for your questions. I might do a second episode, uh, cause there are so many beautiful ones. Um, but thank you so much for these gorgeous questions keep them coming if there's anything that you want me to share please let us know you can either instagram me um at carrie gracie or you can get onto our website www.carrieloy.live and um, on there is actually a contact form i am still doing a bit of coaching in the next couple of months so if there is anyone that does want to reach out and do an hour one session on the website it will show you some of the things that i actually cover um and some of the things that we require from you guys but um big fan big fan of you guys these were just the best questions and there are so many more other brilliant ones that I do actually want to answer um so there will be another episode of the ones that I didn't answer this time so farewell good and faithful listeners ciao Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On Podcast. I've so loved your messages. If you're new to this, um, then I'm on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. 
and you're welcome to DM me there. I do read my own messages. We do have a little team that helped me out with it as well. And we have a Facebook page that is called Carrie Lloyd, funnily enough. So uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, if there's anything you wish to get in touch with us about, uh, then you can also go on to www.carrielloyd.live. That's my um, main website where you can contact us through there. Um, always a pleasure. Never a chore, darling.